we wish to escape the punishment of hell and reach eternal life, then while there is still time, while we are in this body and can accomplish these things by the light of life, let us hasten to do now what will profit us in eternity. The words of St. Benedict of Nursia. Pretty strong words, right? But not much stronger than Jesus' own words in the gospel this morning. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear, with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Hmm. Seems Jesus has warned the people of the approaching destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, but now turns to the more distant future and foretells of his second coming. Unfortunately, this gospel reading doesn't seem to give us much hope, does it? And actually, we might even see it as overwhelmingly hopeless. All this talk of doom and destruction. Well, during his 1960 presidential campaign, John F. Kennedy often closed his speeches with the story of Colonel Davenport, the Speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives, who on May 19, 1780, when the sky of Hartford darkened ominously, and some of the representatives glancing out the window feared that the end was on at hand, quelling a clamor for immediate adjournment, Davenport rose and said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no need for cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish that candles be brought. Rather than fearing what is to come, we are to be faithful till Christ returns. And instead of fearing the dark, we're to be lights, lights to watch as we watch and wait. And all this talk of coming judgments, persecutions, and natural disasters are gloomy, but ultimately it's not a cause for worry, but a cause for joy. Rather than being terrified by what is happening in the world, we should confidently await Christ's return to bring justice and restoration to his people. In the midst of the chaos of this reading, if we look closely enough, calmly enough, there are some words of hope in the midst of all this confusion. And even with these stern warnings of the future, Jesus tells the people to straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is near. That's a good news from the gospel and that we can receive redemption. What is redemption, you may ask? Well, it's defined as act of a redeemer who rescues someone else from loss or bondage, a deliverer, uh, aspect of the salvation of his people by Jesus Christ through his own substitutionary sacrifice on the cross as payment or ransom. Jesus' healing ministry also was a part of his redemptive work. So, here we have Jesus coming to earth in his first coming to act as a redeemer or one who saves, rescues, or delivers 
something that was lost by his saving act at Calvary. I'm reminded of that great Baptist gospel hymn, I've Been Redeemed. Do you know it? I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed by the Lamb. I am filled with the Holy Ghost, I am. All my sins are washed away. I've been redeemed. And so this is a time to be redeemed, a time to live in the hope of a loving and forgiving God. It's important to remember that we do not preach only on one coming of Christ, but as a second as well, much more glorious than the first. The first coming was marked by patience. The second will bring the crown of a divine kingdom. And those are the words from Cyril. Advent is a time of preparation, a time of waiting for the arrival of the Christ child in the nativity, a time of preparation for the second coming of Christ in his glory. In his first appearance, he was judged, condemned, and crucified. In his next appearance, he will be the judge. Advent is a time to reevaluate our lives and prepare ourselves for the glorious kingdom to follow. Now, this is my opinion and my attitude, and, and, and I'm here in a pulpit, so I get to say what I want to say. But I see Advent, um, and many other pastors have different approaches to Advent. Matter of fact, when I get home, I'll hear a different approach. <laughs> but I see Advent, and the first two weeks are a time of evaluation, of looking into your soul, of figuring out, is there any messy cupboards you need to clean out before Christ gets here? So it's a time of preparation. But the final two weeks, when we light that pink candle, that's a time of joy. That's when we're really looking forward to the coming of Christ. Both the birth of the Christ child in the nativity, as well as the second coming of Christ when he comes down in a cloud of glory to bring us all home. I'm reminded of a story of a young boy who decided to write a letter to God one Christmas and he started out by writing, Dear God, I've been a really good boy this year. Unfortunately, he remembered that God was all-knowing and all-seeing. And uh, so he started over. This time he wrote, Dear God, I know I haven't done everything I should have, but I've really tried to be good. Not happy with that, he crumpled up the letter and threw that away, and it was obvious that he was struggling with what to write to God. And as he sat there thinking, he looked up and saw his mother's favorite sculpture on the mantle of the fireplace, a sculpture of the beautiful rendition of the Madonna, the mother of Christ. And so the boy perked up and he ran out of the room and he came back with a towel and a shoebox. He walked over, carefully picked up the Madonna, gently wrapped it in a towel, and carefully put it in the shoebox, and then he hid it in his closet. And the next letter he started to write started off, Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again, Well, as this young lad wanted to ransom the Virgin Mary to get whatever it was he wanted, so today society has ransomed Christmas for its own mercenary desires. It's the time for the church 
to bring back Christmas. And we do. We do. Every year we take it back and bring back the meaning and the purpose. The world tries to hold it for ransom each year with all the gadgets and lists of must-have toys, both kids and adults. The world makes it demand and holds Christmas for ransom, but it never works. You see, the birth of the Christ child is just too powerful, even for Madison Avenue. Madison Avenue starts promoting Christmas before Halloween. I mean, you go into Lowe's, you see Halloween costumes, you see uh, Thanksgiving um, turkeys and things, and you even get to see Christmas trees all lit up and ready to go. Even our favorite radio station, um, Z88, who I listen to all the time, the Christian radio station, they start playing Christmas music, but they don't start playing it until the day after Thanksgiving. In my house, Christmas season, well, technically Christmas season begins with Christmas Day, not with Advent. That's why we don't decorate in the Episcopal Church until Advent's clear. But I repeat, the season of Advent is above all a time of watching and waiting for the coming of the kingdom of God in power. It shares with the season of Lent as a, a certain spirit of restraint, preparation, and penitence, but is one shot through with the confident joy as Christmas approaches. And our readings reflect this dual aspect. In the early part of Advent, they focus upon the coming Christ as judge at the last day. And as the season progresses, the readings in company with the lectionary look toward the birth of the Messiah, and they reflect upon the unique roles played by John the Baptist, the Lord's forerunner, and of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And if you attend my uh, Advent series, we talk about Joseph and his role in the birthing of Christ. Well, let me throw some good news to what seems to be a very depressing state of affairs. Remember, I said Advent is not only a preparation for the coming of the Christ child, but a, for a preparation for the coming of the second coming, the time of judgment. And what we may not have considered is there is a third, a third appearance of Christ. Do you believe that? A third appearance. We always talk about the Messiah being born and the second coming. In the first coming, the Lord was seen on earth dwelling among us. In his final coming, all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. But the intermediate coming, coming that one's hidden, in which only his chosen recognize his presence within themselves and within their souls. In his first coming, our Lord came in our, in our flesh and in our weakness. In an intermediate coming, he comes in spirit and in power. And then his final coming, he will be seen in glory and majesty. So this, this intermediate coming is like a road in which we travel from his first coming to his last. In the first, Christ was our redemption. In the last, he will appear as our life. In his intermediate coming, he is currently, he is our comfort and our rest. And he told his disciples to keep a constant watch for his return. And even though those words were spoken 2,000 years ago, they remain the truth today. He's coming again. We need to be ready. We need to watch and be spiritually fit. We need to continue the task and missions God has given us to do.
Jesus tells us, don't let life's anxieties overburden you so that you will be ready to move at God's command. He was here, he's coming again, and in the meantime, he lives within each and every one of us to give us the strength and endurance to complete our tasks and to be ready. Let us pray. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal. Amen.